This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. glasses on to see we're both pretty lucky stuck inside with no TV being bored with you makes me as happy as can be let's have some fun together we'll be best friends forever BFF that stands for us life is sweet there's snacks we can eat We'll have fun if we go out And just sit around doing nothing Let's explore Open every drawer Hey, you found my long-lost cheese That's what friends are for Let's have some fun together You're my best friend forever We're best friends and this is the friend dance. We're best friends and this is the Theatre nerds, you're backstage. It's me, Mel, my good friend, Mike. Yay. Yay. Welcome. Welcome <laughs> to joining us for another week. And thrice welcome. Thrice welcome. Um, if you missed last week's episode, uh, we introduced the community to Jonty Climo. We did. Who is one of the new kids on the block. There are a few, so we maybe will get to know some more of them over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I enjoyed that opportunity, actually, to have a bit of a yarn about Jonty's background, because when you move into a new area, and I did this when I moved back up to the North Island, mm -hmm. came into the Waikato and I didn't know which groups were doing what. I knew about the long history of Hamilton Operatic Society. I knew the long history of uh, Hamilton Playbox Theatre. Mm -hmm. Didn't know much about music makers as it was then. Didn't know much about any other groups uh, or individuals who were doing stuff around the region. And then I was kind of going all over Facebook and all over the interweb trying to find out what mm -hmm. I could to sort of figure out where I needed to be and who I needed to talk to to get involved in stuff. Find out the right people. Yeah, so it's, I, I feel privileged that we were able to get somebody like John here and say, hey mate, 
you're new to the area. Tell us all about yourself. Welcome. And, you know, he gets a feeling like he's welcomed into the region too, so I feel like we're doing good work. Yeah, <laughs> pat ourselves on the back. So let's find some more newbies and bring them in. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, also, last week, American Idiot was Musical of the Week. I forced Mike to answer the, and John T actually, to answer the question, plays versus musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it won't be the last time you hear me talk about it. Probably will change over time as well. Depends on the mood I'm in. <laughs> At the moment, it's plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. John T's all over musicals. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Blood Brothers opened over the weekend. Yeah. How was it? It was really good to get to the end of production week, mm-hmm. technical week. Uh, it's always, you know, a lot of hard work, late nights. Yeah. We got a great reaction on Saturday night at the opening. I'm really, really proud of that. And yeah. the fact that our tickets now are just flying out the door. Yeah. We've got three sold out performances as we speak. Wonderful. Another, another one just nudging on that. And uh, they're all on fire. They're which all is on really fire. cool, and uh, you know, justifies my feeling that uh, audiences are out there looking for stuff for gritty yeah. theatre to sing That's the right. into. I, you know, with the, there was a little bit, a few question marks over the choice of Blood Brothers way back when we first mooted it, mm. and one or two people said, "Oh, it's such a sad story. I don't know that people will really warm to it." You know, especially but, after COVID. Yeah. But, you, you know, you don't need all singing, all dancing, all the time, sugar and spice and all that sort of stuff. I think it says a, a lot, it says a lot about our audience, doesn't it? They've got quite diverse tastes. That's probably, yeah, they, they, I think that's a really excellent point. You know, that's probably they'll go and the see thing a, I'm happiest about. They'll go and see the producers, but they'll also go and see Blood Brothers. Yeah. You know, I, they'll see whatever you put out to offer them. You know, you think about Les Miserables, you think about uh, stories like Romeo and Juliet, Phantom Side Story, opera. Phantom of the Opera. None of those are really happy stories, are they? None People of them. People die. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I feel justified in, in suggesting that we do Blood Brothers, mm. and I, I'm really proud of the maturity of our audience that comes along and really invests themselves into watching it. Yeah. There were genuinely moments when you could have heard a pin drop in the theatre. Yeah, wow. And, and it was such a thrill to be part of that. Well, I can attest to um, that, and I suppose we would say this, wouldn't we? Um <laughs> Just all disclaimering. Uh, I really enjoyed the show. Uh, And I don't often say that, as if you've been listening for a while, you probably know I don't say that very often. I really loved that Mm. because I'm not not really like that. But I really did love Blood Brothers. And by no means was it the perfect production, but I think there's so much soul and so much heart in it. And you can just feel the energy dripping off the actors and all the hard work you guys have all put in so yeah i i think every every single person in the cast um has has really put a hundred percent of their effort in and we're getting the best that we possibly can out of everyone mm-hmm. and couldn't be prouder of that and uh, I, I i thank you for your compliment on behalf of everybody oh you're so welcome but i think also um i i feel really blessed personally that i've had a, a second crack at a role that i really enjoyed the first time around mm. and found a whole bunch of new stuff i can do with it which um has been really satisfying from a performance point of view too so uh, hats off to angela walker our, mm. um, our director she has brought a new vision to me uh, and and explored something a bit different with the story, which I'm really pleased about. Well, it's funny. I talked to uh, your Mrs. Linda on Saturday night after the show, and, and she said... Oh, she saw my original yeah, production. Yeah, she saw your original production, and she said, oh, well, that was much different to the to the last time I saw Mike in it. Well, she didn't quite sound like that, but, you know. Um, <laughs> and I think I'm giving her a bit more pep than she would like. Um, <laughs> and she said, and it sort of spurred me into thinking, it's funny how a show that is the same show can be so different. But isn't that what's magical about theatre? Yes. About plays, about musicals. You can have all of the same instructions on the page 
and someone with a, a different view on things or a different set of, uh, I don't know, imaginative sort of synapses going on in their brain yeah. can find new things to do with it. Just a different way of staging it, a different emphasis on parts of the of the plot or whatever. Yeah. And that's why theatre is so bloody good, isn't that's it? That's wild. I love it. You know, you're not stuck on celluloid with one version, that's it. You, yeah. you get a chance to have a, a different kind of crack at it. and I think that's really cool. You put your own spin on it. Damn straight, girlfriend. Uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> so Mike's a little bit of a fan of Bill Nye. And I just want to know why, because we're going to play a couple of little clips from Bill today. Yeah. Um, why? Why are we doing that, Mike? I have been a fan of his since the very first time I saw him in God knows what, on TV, I think it was, at one of his many, many TV roles. Mm. Um, and he's, he's a striking person to look at. He's got angular features. He's tall. He just has a way of performing that seems to come almost effortlessly, but you can see that the man has actually invested himself into the imagination required to actually bring the character to life. Mm. And I've always been fascinated by people like him who make acting look so effortless, effortless yeah. but also so believable. And he's yeah. not everybody's cup of tea. I appreciate that. I'm, pre- I'm a pretty big fan. Are you? Okay, well, that's all right. I, he's just one of many people that I, I look up to. And, and I stumbled across a few um, audio clips of his, uh, actually YouTube clips, that um, I thought would be damn interesting listening in our show. Yeah. Because he talks about the craft of acting. And he talks about the things that he concentrates on. And, and some of them is conceptions around what makes a good actor, you know. And uh, he may sound dismissive of, of some approaches, but he's got um, an ethic about the approach to imagination which resonates with me and that probably that's why I'm a bit of a fanboy when it comes to Bill Nye. Yeah well and I always think regardless of of if you agree or don't agree or love it or don't love it you know every little bit of knowledge and wisdom is something to add to the bank right? Yeah so I thought it would be really interesting for us to have a, a bit of a listen to what he has to say. Do you want to kick off with a bit now? Because yeah, well, I'm, I'm all primed up. Let's do it. Let's get stuck uh, into the first soundbite. This is from uh, a series done by the National Theatre in London called Life in Stages. It's an interview series. I think they started doing it during one of the first lockdowns to uh, just profile some of the biggest names in, in British theatre through YouTube. Uh, they thought we're not actually performing to audiences at the moment let's talk to each other (laughs) basically (laughs) so filmed on the empty stage at the Littleton Theatre which is one of eight performance spaces at the National Theatre each episode that they've done features a pair of creatives reflecting on their stage careers and revealing funny the um, personal um, poignant stories behind everything from the earliest theatre memory through to the biggest professional highs and lows. There's people like Olivia Coleman mm. um, have been part of this and Bill Nye was one I, I came across quite early in the piece. So in the clip I'm about to play for you now, the very wise and very considered Bill Nye reveals the advice he wishes that he was given when he was a young actor and he's in conversation with Chiwetel Ejiofor and I may have his name incorrectly pronounced there but that's only because I'm not familiar with him and Andrew Lincoln so there was three of them sitting on the stage socially distanced having this conversation and Bill started to talk about his view on stuff he should have known when he started or stuff he wished he knew when he got started in the business cool things I wish someone had said to me before the wish I'd known one is that it was okay to be frightened Two was that drugs are the enemy of art. And three, pay your taxes, moron. Mm. Those, are, those are three things that I would, would, would have benefited from. And the, and the other thing was, was just 
realizing that I could do stuff even while my head was attacking me and telling yeah. me and inventing me as somebody who couldn't. That yeah. was a big thing. Yeah. I remember you saying something that I, um, that I took with me for a long time and have taken into like doing plays um, since that point was you talked a lot about, or at least on occasion about the, that sort of invisible line between being off stage and being on stage. And I really remember that, that trying to make that line disappear, basically, yeah, yeah, so that yeah. you walk on the stage and it's not like, and now I am yeah, presenting yeah, yeah. something. It's yeah. like you just walk on the stage yeah. and you just sort of carry the same energy, the same thought into performance, yeah. which I think is um, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I, got, I, 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 I was thinking about that when I was doing The Seagull here with, uh, with Judy Dench and lots of other great actors. And I was very, very, again, very, very nervous. And I remember... I would, I would sort of be on my best behavior. I'd walk on stage and be on my best behavior. Doing I'd sort of stand up straight. Yeah. You know, like, why are you standing up straight? Did everybody stand up straight in 1893? You know, and I'd speak slightly differently. And, you know, and yeah. I'd go, why, why, why are you talking funny? You know, and, and it's like when people do Shakespeare, they're suddenly they're all standing rather well, you know, or something, and they've got great hair and they're doing whatever, they're, you know, and then that kind of thing. And I used to be scratching my head in the in the wings, and I'd think, and then I'd stop scratching my head, and I'd go right, okay, you know. And then I'd think, why are you stopping scratching your head? Scratch your head. So I'd walk on scratching my head, which wasn't particularly radical, <laughs> but it got me through. It got me through. It got me from there to there. You know. Well, you have to be self-conscious because otherwise you can't go to work. So yeah. you know. You also said that thing. I remember saying less is more, and you went no, 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 no. <laughs> more is more. More is more. <laughs> and I remember that because I remember you. And, and another one is get your hands over your head as quickly as possible when yeah. you walk on set. Yeah. Get them up. Yeah. Get them up. Yeah. Well, I used to be so. I only did anything because I, I spent years standing on stage, not being, having conversations with myself, saying, "Move your heart. Move your hand. Put it in your pocket. I can't move my hand. Move over there. I can't go over there. What, just walk. There. I can't." Yeah. Walk. I'd be like that. I was completely yeah. paralyzed. And then I worked out, and, and, it, and I worked out on a, on a re, in a rehearsal thing. If you did something, anything, that, if you did that or, or that, quick, just something, anything that would, was be, better than standing like yeah, that, yeah. then you would feel less, you'd feel terrible for less time. Any other myths that you want to bust, Bill? Myths. The myth of if you don't have a full grasp of your lines, you will be therefore better placed to deliver them with spontaneity. Is Give me a break. break. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whoever snuck that into the language is just another rationalization for not doing any work. Yeah. And if you don't do your lines, then when does the work, what the, yeah, you know, yeah. like if an actor comes on and says, can I get some sides, please? You know you're in trouble because what, you know, the yeah. sides meaning little bits of the script that they give for that day's scenes. And you think, well, when did the work take place? When, when, is it going to happen now? You're going to be doing it now? When you see him on, on screen, you may have noticed that his fingers on his hands are somewhat um, deformed lately. Oh. I always thought it was arthritis because that's typically what happens. They start to sort of close up. But his condition is something called Dupuytren's contracture. It's a, an hereditary condition which can, depending on the condition severity, cause uh, contractures of the fingers, most commonly the ring and the little fingers. And if you look, oh. look carefully at his uh, performances in recent years, you'll see that he, he's he mostly using his thumb and first two fingers. I've never noticed. And 
the other two are often bunched up in his hands. Mm. But he it, it doesn't stop him, doesn't hold no, him back. He's, he's still a riveting guy to see on screen. Mm. He's 72 years old now. Gosh. Uh, he's been a working actor since the 1970s. Made his debut at the National Theatre in 1977 after a couple of seasons at the Everyman Theatre in Liverpool, but has never stopped working since then mm. on stage, on screen, big screen, TV, you name it. Um, he's all over the place. Won lots of awards and stuff, so... That's why I take notice of what he has to say. Wow. If the world is gonna end tomorrow, wallowing in sorrow won't get us anywhere. You'll find all the strength you need is inside. Like Poseidon riding across the tide. Don't let this moment pass by. Come on. Hero is my middle name. They made a real prediction It's not science fiction There's nothing we can do at all Why are you waiting for the bottom to fall? Not the time to drop the big beach ball All for one and one for all All for one and one for all my middle name from musical of the week spongebob squarepants mm-hmm. you're with mel and mike backstage on hamilton's free fm and it's that time of the day again uh let me just tell you a little bit about one of the wonderful works on our list of upcoming pieces of theater at the moment coming to clarence street theater 
Here in Hamilton is Krishnan's Dairy, which takes two of the most universal Indian cliches, the Taj Mahal and the Corner Store, and kind of fuses them together into a funny and touching love story. Gobi and Zena Krishnan have moved to New Zealand in search of a better life for themselves and their child. They work hard, keep their dreams stacked on the shelves of their struggling dairy, and woven into their story is the epic tale of the Taj Mahal, one of the wonders of the world and an enduring testament to the love of one man for his wife. A love story unfolds behind the counter with hilarious and deeply moving consequences for the hopeful, vulnerable lives of this immigrant shopkeeper and his wife. It's one of those enduring pieces of New Zealand, well, this New Zealand theatre. Keeps coming around, eh? keeps coming around. And it's popular for a really good reason. There's mask work involved. Have you seen it? I have seen excerpts from it, but I've never actually been anywhere where there's a performance in its entirety. So I am hanging out for this at Clarence Street. They do great work, so... So you can put it and everything else that's on our list into your calendar. Here is our list of what's coming up around the place soonish. At the Meteor, the Sherpa and the Beekeeper, written and directed by Matt Cambick, opening May the 26th, running until the 29th. And That Bloody Woman, directed by Courtney Mayo and Kyle Chewin, for Bold Theatre, coming up at the end of August. Quite a lot coming up at Riverley Theatre. Blood Brothers, directed by Angela Walker, that we've sort of been endlessly talking about for the last month or so. Uh, it's on right now until May the 28th. Celebrating Matariki with Dane Moike and Friends, that's on June the 18th. Sherlock Holmes and the Baker Street Irregulars, directed by Glenn Matthews for Hamilton Playbox, goes to stage July the 2nd until the 16th. And Geezers, directed by Mike Williams for Hamilton Playbox, on stage in August. Clarence Street, as I just said, Christian's Dairy, presented by India Inc., is on September the 8th to the 10th. And Trek the Musical, directed by Nick Wigginson, opens July the 19th, running to the 23rd. At the Gallagher Academy of Performing Arts at the University of Waikato, Three Sisters by Anton Chekhov is being presented by the third year University of Waikato Theatre Studies students. That is on June 9th and 10th. Navarro Lounge, Trip Change, Lies and Lullabies, Mayhem New Zealand album tour is on this Friday 7.30. And Black River Tour, the CD release party, is on the Saturday starting at 8 o'clock. Over in Morrinsville at the Little Theatre there, there is a one-act play festival coming up from June the 23rd to the 25th, and that features three different plays on each of those different nights. Ah, is that how they're doing it? Yeah. Woolshed Theatre in Te Awamutu, tell us a story, presented by Te Awamutu Light Operatic Society, June 9th to the 19th. The Te Aroha Little Theatre have Death and Taxes by April Phillips, directed by John Watson, June the 23rd to July the 2nd. Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge, The Things I Know to Be True by Andrew Bovell and directed by Chrissy Hodkinson. That opens July the 30th and runs to August 13th. Matamata Musical Theatre are doing an encore cabaret from May 24th to the 27th. They'll be pleased to be getting something back on stage. They had to shelve a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I haven't heard That's whether right. they're going to reschedule that or not. We'll be hanging out to get the word on that. Patauru Theatre Players Moonshine, a hillbilly musical, is on stage now through till May the 28th. Thames Music and Drama have Mamma Mia coming up as directed by Diane Connors. That opens May 28th and runs till June the 4th. And Rotorua, streaking through the 70s, directed by Shona Clout, opens July the 15th, running to the 30th. Up in Onifero at the Society of Performing Arts Peninsula by Gary Henderson is being directed by Jess and Scott Lorimer. It goes to stage May 28th until June the 5th. 
Let's go to the Bay of Plenty. Tauranga 16th Avenue Theatre Puffs, directed by Laura Mansell, opens July the 8th, running to the 23rd. At Detour Theatre, The Old People Are Revolting by Devin Williamson, directed by Kim Williamson, opens June 16th, running to July the 2nd. And Tauranga Musical Theatre are in rehearsal now for We Will Rock You, which will be hitting the Bay Court stage in September. Theatre Fakatani are still in rehearsal for School of Rock, the musical, which is directed by Sue Harris, going to stage June 22nd and closing on July 9th. The Auckland Theatre Company have scenes from A Yellow Peril by Nathan Joe, directed by Jane Yong. June 21st to July 3rd, Long Day's Journey Into Night by Eugene O'Neill, directed by Shane Bosher, July the 5th to the 30th. And Dawn Raids by Oscar Kitely, August 16th to September 3rd. Also in Auckland, Auckland Live have The Wedding Singer, the musical, presented by David Venn Enterprises, playing at the Bruce Mason Centre from June 30th to July the 17th. The Girl from the North Country, presented by GWB Entertainment, that plays at the Civic in Auckland from June 30th to July the 16th. And Oliver is being presented by the National Youth Theatre, and that plays in the Kiritakanawa Theatre at the Aotea Centre from July 1st to the 3rd. Gosh, Auckland's ramping it up again, aren't mm, they? Sure. Upcoming auditions and opportunities. The Miss Cadaver Undead Beauty Pageant still taking entries for the final ever Miss Cadaver contest. Entries are open until August the 1st. Sandra Jensen 99 at yahoo.com is the email address if you want more information. Tauranga Musical Theatre are looking for a director and a musical director for their end of year season of <gasps> the last five years, one of my faves. But do it quick because applications close this coming Sunday. There is more information on the TMT Facebook page. Have you page. filled yours out yet? No, I haven't. A little bit. Uh-huh. Time's running out. Te Awa Mutu Light Up Erotic Society are now holding auditions for the Farndale Avenue Housing Estate Towns Women's Guild Dramatic Society's production of Macbeth. <laughs> True, that's the title. There's a series of plays done by the Farndale Avenue Housing Estates Town Women's Guild Dramatic Society. <laughs> this one is directed by David Moore and auditions are made the 28th and 29th. It's total farce. And Enchanted Entertainment are hiring. They're looking for a range of potential princes and princesses to play a range of characters at various child-oriented events. Email enchantedentertainmentnz at gmail.com if you would like more information. Whew, we can put that stack of papers to one side. Please don't forget, <laughs> if there was a show or an audition opportunity you want us to spread the word about, all you have to do is email us on backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or just give us a tap on the shoulder. Let us know when you see us around the place. Hoping we've been 
Backstage with Mel and Mike, and thanks to the sponsorship and support of Free FM 89.0 and Creative Waikato for helping us do this week in, week out. Our musical of the week, SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical that uh, came to our attention at the request of our good mate, John T. Climo, whom we met last week. If you want to spool back and listen to that, and <laughs> find out where he started talking about this, and we kind of committed ourselves to doing it. Yeah, we, we did. We said, "Oh, well, next week we'll do it," and so now and we're, so now we're we doing are. it. Yeah. Uh, I've been pretty avidly against this musical since I first heard of it, and um, because I'm not actually a, surprise, surprise, not actually a great SpongeBob SquarePants fan, so I'm, I was just 
never remotely interested. But I do like a little go at some children's theatre, and when something comes so highly recommended, like it did by John D. He was, uh, he was really enthusiastic. He was really enthusiastic, so yeah. I, I got to know what I, it's all about. I'm with you. I'm not the target demographic for SpongeBob. Mm, no. I'm aware of SpongeBob. Yeah. I've seen the merchandising. I've seen all that. I couldn't tell you what he sounds like or who the characters are, really. I got some idea. So I am kind of meh yeah. about the whole thing. So convince me that it's good. I will do my very best. But I might start with some critical reception. But you've, you've heard some of the music so far. It's actually not bad. I'm I actually not, like that BFF song that we had earlier on. At yeah, the start, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not so bad. It's well orchestrated. It's done by... Well, let me tell you about it. All right. Um, so the critical reception, I'll start with that. The original Chicago production received mostly positive reviews. Dean Richards gave it an A+, writing that the story is multi-layered, for kids and adults. It all adds up to one of the most fun, well-produced and best-acted shows Chicago has seen in a long time. Chris Jones of the Chicago Tribune praised the cast and the production values. He wrote that the musical's biggest gamble, a score made up of singles by different songwriters and unified by orchestrator Tom Kitt... Uh, works quite beautifully. Nonetheless, he warned the transition to Broadway now needs to involve a dialing back of excess and more attention to truth. Similarly, Steve Oxman and Variety praised the entertainment, invention and terrifically talented cast, but argued for a slight shift in worldview to truly engage the broadest audience. Oh, that's really that that's constructive criticism. I like that. I it's not just the show is shit. Yeah. It was, this is saying, here's, here's how it could be better. Yeah, that's right. The Broadway production opened to pretty similar reviews. Ben Brantley of the New York Times called it a ginormous giggle of a show and particularly praised Ethan Slater's performance as SpongeBob SquarePants. Peter Marks of the Washington Post explained that although the show displays impressive design and engineering, along with exuberant neon-coloured sets and costumes, its lumbering, drawn-out plot makes the show a novelty recommendable only to true fans of the source material. Mm. Which Alexis Soloski of The Guardian agreed with, calling the main plot bottom feeder low and subplots roundly ignorable, resulting in a show that is as perfunctorily entertaining as it is insistently forgettable. Ooh, so that's that's pretty, not so good. That's pretty scathing. Yeah. Well, that's two ends of the spectrum, isn't it? Well, and that's a part of why I was never really interested, because I'm not a fan of the source material so i thought oh this is for fans yeah so i okay. didn't i didn't bother with it i think last week we, we did say you know unless you've got some guy in a sort of sponge costume what's the point yeah, kind of thing yeah and they and they have humanified them so that there isn't a guy in a sponge suit he's just a guy i think his skin might be yellow and he's wearing a suit similar to what the the, the character wears in the tv show Okay. So the suggestion is there. Yeah, they're humanified. Right, what else can you tell me? All right, so we obviously need to know more. SpongeBob SquarePants, the Broadway musical, is a stage musical co-conceived and directed by Tina Landau with songs by various artists and a book by Kyle Jarrow. It is based on the Nickelodeon animated television series SpongeBob SquarePants and made its world premiere in June 2016 at the Oriental Theatre in Chicago. Following a month of previews, the musical opened on Broadway at the Palace Theatre in December of 2017. With 12 Tony Award nominations that year, it tied with Mean Girls for the most nominated production at the 72nd Seriously? Tony Awards. Yep, uh, That was in 2018. And then when the show closed that September, uh, at the time of its closing, it had only played 29 previews and 327 regular performances. Okay. But it got 
like 12, 12 Tony Award nominations. nominations. Wow. Yeah. Now to get into the gist of the show. So the show is usually opened with a pre-show act uh, that outlines theatre etiquette. It's kind of like a pre-show announcement, but hardcore. Uh, an actor playing Patchy the Pirate, Sp- SpongeBob's number one fan. He sits on the uh, stage after the audience has taken their seats, and he reveals that he's travelled from Encino, California, to record the musical on his phone and make a pirate copy. <laughs> <laughs> he gets kicked out by security as the show's about to begin, which Patchy objects to with, Yo-ho, we won't go! Uh, and okay. so the the silliness begins. SpongeBob SquarePants awakens and welcomes the day with his pet sea snail Gary. He greets various friends of, in his hometown of Bikini Bottom, including his best friend Patrick, who is a starfish, uh, his neighbour Squidward, and his friend Sandy Cheeks. As he walks to the Krusty Krab restaurant, and Sandy Cheeks uh, is a chipmunk or a squirrel or something. She wears a bowl on her head. Because she's under the sea. Because they're under the sea, that's okay. right. He works at the restaurant, doesn't he? Yeah, Krusty, and Mr. Krusty Krab, at the Krusty Krab yeah. restaurant. Yeah, okay. he works there. At work, his boss, Mr. Krabs, tells Squidward's daughter, Pearl, that she will manage the restaurant one day. With Pearl uninterested, SpongeBob hints at his desire to become the manager one day. Mr. Krabs laughs at the idea, telling SpongeBob he is just a simple sponge. Then a violent tremor suddenly rocks the entire town. A news report reveals that the tremor was caused by the nearby Mount Humongous, a volcano that will soon erupt, throwing the town into a panic. Married villains Plankton and Karen try to convince the citizens of Bikini Bottom to enter an escape pod that ensures safety, a cover-up for their secret scheme to hypnotise the citizens in the pod and to liking the chum that they serve at their restaurant, the Chum Bucket. (laughs) The townspeople unknowingly support this idea and decide to hold a last-minute music concert to raise enough money to build the pod. SpongeBob, however, is against the idea of leaving town and believes the the citizens should stay to save Bikini Bottom. SpongeBob thinks back on Mr. Krabs' words from earlier and wonders if he could save the town. He convinces Patrick and Sandy to team up, climb the volcano, and stop it from erupting with a bubble device that Sandy will build. And then it's (laughs) halftime. I'm smiling and kind of laughing and shaking my head at the same time at all of this because it's so preposterous. And it kind of... But it actually is no worse than a lot of other <laughs> plot lines that I've heard for some sort of big grade or, or lower um, musicals in the past. I mean, to be honest... This, and it's cartoon. This isn't so far off the scale of, like, Shrek. That's true. You know? Yeah. You'd com- they're comparable, I think. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get to Act 2. All right. So Act 2 opens with SpongeBob waking up again and and greeting another day, the day when the volcano is expected to erupt. Bikini Bottom has fallen into anarchy and chaos. The mayor has employed a dictatorship over the people, and an angry mob has started to hunt down Sandy, thinking that her science is the cause for the volcano's impending eruption. Sandy hides from the mob and shows SpongeBob the ingenious bubble device, the Eruptor Interrupter. They plan to throw it inside the volcano and save the town. And then there's a, maybe a half hour of adventuring, a couple of friendship breakdowns, general panic in the town as SpongeBob tries to calm everyone down, insisting that despite whatever happen, happens, they have each other. Um, so, I, which seems <laughs> potentially to be the moral of the story. Uh, when the time comes for the volcano to erupt, everyone braces for their potential deaths. However, time passes with no eruption and bubbles fall from above, signaling that the eruptor interrupter has worked. With Bikini Bottom safe, everyone apologizes for their behavior, and Mr. Krabs decides to have SpongeBob as a manager of the Krusty Krab someday. Woohoo! 
And to finish it all off, the, the entire town then decides that they should celebrate by having that concert, uh, headlined by Squidward and his daughter Pearl, and making a hero of Sandy, who in the end saved the day. Yeah, good old Sandy. Good old Sandy. So that's the plot of the show. It's very, you know, yeah. an episode of SpongeBob. Uh, to, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's cartoony. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, of course it's over the top. It really sounds like something aimed at kids, doesn't it? I feel like you would put this on and sell it out during the school holidays. As far as Wikipedia is concerned, there haven't been any other productions of SpongeBob anywhere else in the world ever to date, though there is a 2016 original cast recording featuring Ethan Slater, Danny Skinner and Lily Cooper, and that's what we're listening to today. Yep. Interestingly, and I sort of uh, I sort of mentioned it earlier, the musical songs were largely composed by popular artists, as arranged with the show's writers uh, and the composer Tom Kitt. And then we're not talking B-listers, we're not talking, uh, I don't know, Yoko Ono, we're talking uh, David Bowie, Brian Eno, The Plain White Tees, T.I., Panic at the Disco, Cindy Lauper, The Flaming Lips, Sarah Bareilles. Who else? Steven Tyler, Lady Antebellum, John Legend, and They Might Be Giants. And, of course, the SpongeBob musical isn't complete without the SpongeBob SquarePants theme tune. But that's a massive list of stars. uh, What's really interesting is that they've been able to interest all those people into contributing. I wonder if it was money. Because Nickelodeon had had to be money. I mean, even David Bowie wouldn't have done it for love. But (laughs) the fact that they've got a kind of a cohesive kind of sound from what we've heard so far today uh, it's actually i mean it's, i wonder how aware they were of each other's work and whether yeah, they were know. instructed to go for a particular kind of feel or not i don't know i mean i'm sure they were probably given a brief but mm. i suppose the orchestrating will have tied it all together as well yeah yeah yeah. once you put course. all those music yeah. music it's instruments quite fascinating yeah well that's all i've got to say about it really there's not a lot but it's I'm still pretty intrigued. Well, Jonty said when he was with us last week that he had uh, seen a version of it. Uh, There's obviously a a bootleg bootleg, recording somewhere that he was going to pass on to make sure we saw it. Haven't seen Hide No Hear of that yet. Yeah, Jonty. I'm I'm really not all that convinced that that I would necessarily want to see it. I don't think I want to sit through a bootleg recording, but I'd see it if it came to town. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll say I'm undecided. I'd... I don't know that I'll ever get the opportunity to see it in this country to change my mind. Maybe if I travel overseas, there might be a production of it somewhere. You might, I mean, if it came to town, you might take your grand, grandson to it. Yeah. But I don't think it's... Well, I don't, it sound, doesn't sound like it's going to be back on Broadway. No, I don't... I, I mean, maybe John T will license it and we'll get to see it around yeah. here sometime soon. Might be something he's keen to direct. And to recover somewhat, <laughs> I, if you can bear it, actually, Mel, I'd... Dug out another Bill Nye clip because this is where he expands a bit more on the art of acting and and mm. his history also is really quite fascinating his his experiences and I'm, it sounds like he is dissing method acting to some degree because he says you know, about, uh, like you know you don't need to dwell on feelings and things like that but he does have a very pragmatic and very I think very workable approach to the whole art of getting into character mm. and and working. Uh, as an actor so this is a different interview there may be a couple of references in here that repeat what you heard before but just in a small way but he goes into a bit more depth in this one this was a couple of years before the last clip that we just heard before I suppose we'll indulge you then acting is kind of scary and you're you have to operate whilst your head is attacking you if you're me anyway I never watch anything I'm in if I can possibly help it 
because I find it takes too long to recover and I have to go to work. I don't mind watching uh, if I do cartoons. For instance, I was, I was once required to be a squid man in a movie. I was an octopus guy and it was all uh, digitally um, achieved. So, uh, uh, and I was perfectly happy watching that because what are you going to say? My, you don't like my squid? Well then, you know, live with it because it's your problem. And also I had a very successful, uh, the, my squid was world class. My, my, my squid was an award-winning squid because the hundred men and women who created my squid, uh, the, the first thing the director said to them when he, they presented the squid was get your acceptance speech ready. And they won an Oscar. So I was in very good company. With the squid, I, had, um, I was put into a pair of very sad computer pajamas uh, which had white bobbles velcroed all over them. And I was then given a skull cap with a white bobble on the top. And I was given 250, I think it was, white dots all over my face. And then introduced to Johnny Depp. And if you ask me, are there any great challenges in my professional career? One of my, the greatest challenges was wandering about a very big American film set dressed in pajamas with white dots all over your face with crew members being kind enough but actually averting their eyes because they couldn't bring themselves to look at you because it was so sad, you know. And then you are shown a picture of the scariest thing on the ocean waves, which is the squid. Then they say action. That's, you know, not going to the airport and just saying, please let me go home is one of my uh, proudest achievements, and I'm not even kidding. When I was younger, and in, you know, you'd be in digs up and down the country and hanging out in bars with actors, and it would get to that part of the conversation where actors discussed their process, I would go to the men's room or put the kettle on or just go quiet because my, my dreadful secret was that I didn't have a process, uh, and I still don't have a process, and I, and, it, uh, and I just never got around to having a process. The standard questions are, how much research did you do for this part? And I am old enough now, and it's refreshing. When you're younger, you have to lie. But when you're my age, you're allowed to say, if you ask me the question, how much research did I do for this part? The answer is absolutely none whatsoever. Because I work at a level of writing where anything I need to know, any of the information, usually is in the script. If there's something specific, you go ask. But it's very rare. Um, and also they say, how did you get into character? Well, I'm also old enough to say that I've never knowingly been in character in my life. I've heard great things about it, but it's just outside of my experience. I don't actually know what they're talking about. I was approached in the street recently by a young woman who said that she'd seen me in a play and she very much enjoyed, very much enjoyed it. And I said, well, thank you. And she said, I'm trying to be an actor. And I said, how's that going? She said, well, I'm having a little trouble with my drama teacher. I said, what kind of trouble are you having with your drama teacher? She said, well, I'm having difficulty with the feelings. I said, the feelings? She said, you know, the, the feelings. Like I would know. You know. I said, well, you saw me in a play. She said, yeah. And you, and you, you thought it was good. She said, I thought it was absolutely mild. I said, well, I can absolutely guarantee you that I'm not feeling anything. I'm at work. Do you know what I mean? I'm a bit busy. I'm a bit pushed. I have to do, I have to achieve about 
1,500 things over a period of two and a half hours or whatever the play length might be. I have to make love to a woman, smoke cigarettes, reach the door handle, hit the door handle when that verbal cue comes because otherwise the lights all go funny. I have to, you know, get semi-naked and eat chili con carne. You know, I'm, I'm occupied. I can't be feeling stuff, you know, that I do in my own time. And you can't phone up on a wet Wednesday and say, do you know what, I'm not feeling it, so I don't think I'll come in today. People who teach uh, acting, they have to talk for a very long time, sometimes two years of talk, or sometimes three, and there isn't that much to say. Um, and they start making it up sometimes, or they'll concentrate on things that are undeniable. Like you can't say, I am feeling it, no, you're not. No, I can't, you know, you're not feeling, I can't, you know, I'm sorry, but I just, you're not feeling, you've got, you got to feel, yeah, I am, I think I'm feeling, you know, it's all, it's completely unnecessary. The audience have no interest in what you might be feeling. You're supposed to give the appearance of feeling something like you did when you were a kid. It is an extension of what you did in the backyard when you played the bank robber and the other guy played the policeman. There are many myths. And there are, there are also PR myths, and everybody's supposed to toe the line. And, the, and like with everything else, the truth always works better. And I'm not saying that other people are lying. I'm saying, that, you know, people, you know, it's just, it's just my view. But um, there, I do think that sometimes uh, younger actors are manipulated in a certain way. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of control, and they are made to feel that there is something that's out of their range or out of their reach. There's nothing that's out of your range or out of your reach. Don't assume that you have to take off your clothes. It's bullshit. There is no plot to which it's essential. It's usually, broadly speaking, um, by extension, it's a budgetary concern. The producers like it. It's got very little to do with art, it's got nothing to do with art, and it has nothing to do with truth. I don't know if there is a secret to collaboration with other actors. I've never been asked this question before. It's a good question. Usually it's if I think what is exciting is when you realize that your fellow actor is entirely prepared and that whatever preparation has been required has taken place elsewhere. And then if everybody's prepared, then you can start to rock. There is a, the, another myth, and it's almost become a kind of way in which people demonstrate their status, which is not to know your lines. The myth is propped up with a particular piece of tosh. And the tosh is, if you learn your lines before going into a rehearsal situation, for instance, you will become imprisoned by intonations and therefore that is a discour discourtesy to your fellow professionals. That's a complete and utter myth made up by people who didn't want to do their homework. That's it. But it's entered the language and it's become refined over the years. And it's now, you know, it's as if it's uncreative to know your lines or uncreative to have studied them in any great depth, that we are supposed to wait for lightning or the muse or something. Well, I operate without a muse and without lightning because I haven't got one and I haven't got any. Acting is pretty straightforward and it's not, you know, it's, and, and it's actions. 
and you need to be sort of directed and told. I like, I do like being told what to do. When I worked first with Stephen Polyakov, my first job for him, as it were, the first thing I was required to do was to tell George V, played by Tom Hollander, that the whole of the Russian side of his family had been slaughtered in a basement the previous day. That was my first day's work with Stephen Polyakov. And I did it. And he came over and he said, that was very, very good. Don't wiggle your eyes about so much. And I rejoiced because I know how to do that. He didn't come over and say, I think you should employ more secondary energy rather than primary energy because, you know, and, when, and he, didn't, he didn't go into psychiatric terminology, which, because then I'm lost. The early days of walking on sets when no one knows who you are, you have no credits to kind of precede you. You, you feel intimidated and you are inexperienced, which is fine. You know, you're supposed to be, obviously. Uh, those were the most challenging times. A young actor phoned me from his trailer and he was about to start a job, a film job. It was a big job and he'd never really done a lot before. And... Um, and he, they told him that he had 20 minutes before he was going onto the set for the first time, on the first day of the job. And between us, we decided that that's what you get paid for. You get paid for the 20 minutes in the trailer before you walk on the set. Lots of people think, I could probably be an actor. But they don't know about the 20 minutes in the trailer before you walk on. And that's the tough bit. Remember that no one knows what's going on in your head, and they never will. And I know that sounds stupid, but it's, it's a good thing to remember. And remember that you're supposed to be scared. That's the normal, healthy, natural reaction to the job that you're about to start. You know, to walk on to a, uh, a prof into a professional situation where there are lots and lots of people, all under pressure, with usually not enough money, everyone's exhausted, and to be, at some point, know that someone's going to say action and everyone's going to scrutinize you for a while, or at least you're, you will imagine that they are. Um, they don't know what's going on in your head. And if you're prepared, then you're in kind of shape. You know? Don't believe any reputations. No matter how many awards or public distinctions they've been given, let them prove it to you. Um, but, you know, and treat them with courtesy, obviously. Treat everybody with courtesy. That's, that's a sign of great professionalism. And it's, uh, you know, that's anything other than that is unprofessional. Thank you, Free FM, as always, for hosting us. Thanks, Creative Waikato, for sponsoring us. Backstage is available, as you know, on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and check out Facebook and Instagram for all of the backstage updates. Yeah, we do all of that. Mel and I will be back here next week with another musical of the week up our sleeves. And we'll pick something a bit different this time. <laughs> and we're also going to rope in another friendly guest. It's time we had another warm body in the studio yeah. with us, I think. Don't forget to stay home if you're not feeling well. Keep wearing your mask and keep being kind to one another because that is, above all else, the most important thing. Definitely do that. We're going out today with the theme song and finale number from Musical of the Week, SpongeBob SquarePants. Stay classy, theatre nerds. See ya.
volcano kept a town from frying. We found a way. Everything gets better if you keep on trying. A simple sponge can be handy when you're cleaning up spills. Sometimes you need a hero with some management skills. Hey there, that's me. Happy just to be here in the world. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.